Isaiah chapter 66, uh, verses 1 and 2 say, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. When we go into worship, it's important. Um, that we come properly towards the Lord. And uh, these two verses, they say two things in particular. It's necessary that we recognize and we know that God is sovereign over all things, that he created all things. And all things that we give unto him, they're things that he gave to us in the first place. And the second is that we humble ourselves. He looks upon those who are of a contrite spirit and those who tremble at his word. So when we come before him in praise, may we humble ourselves. May we tremble at the truths that he gives us, knowing that he is sovereign. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. Lord, that in all things that we do, all things that we give unto you, they come from you in the first place. Lord, we thank you that we have the ability, that we have the freedom to worship you in this place. We have the freedom to come together as a congregation and give you praise and give you glory. Lord, we pray that we would humble ourselves before you. Lord, that we would allow you to speak into our lives, to mend us, to shape us into the creations that you have made us to be pursuing you in every step. Lord, we love you. Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water no more Come all you sinners Come find his mercy Come to the table He will satisfy Taste of his goodness Find what you're looking for
Thank you so much. Lord, you are unchangeable. Lord, there's nothing that this world can throw at us that will change your faithfulness, that will uh, come against and thwart your plans. And Lord, so we, we rest in that knowledge and understanding that you are above all, you are over all. And uh, Lord, you are for us, you are on our side. And that, Lord, the, the greatest trial, the greatest obstacle that we would ever face, which is sin, death, and hell, Lord God, you have defeated already on our behalf. And we are just so grateful. We worship you, Jesus, the God of our salvation. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sins. Lost without hope with no place to begin. Love made a way let mercy come in When death was arrested my life began Past was redeemed only beauty remains My orphaned heart was given a name My morning grew quiet my feet rose to death when death was arrested and my life began For oh, your grace so free washes over me You have made me new now life begins with you It's your Chains, I'm a prisoner no more. 
Each one of us would have a testimony of just some awesome things that he's done. And, I mean, we're so forgetful. Imagine all the amazing, incredible things that we, we've forgotten already or that we didn't even know about. And the greatest of which, especially those who, who have grieved the loss of a loved one, like he has defeated death on our behalf. There, death is just a little obstacle in our way that is, is just a little blip on the screen of our history that Jesus, our Savior, has done an amazing thing by setting us free from the power of death. And I'm just so grateful for that uh, tonight. Why don't we uh, take a moment, and we're just going to greet some folks around us before we get into the message.
All right. Happy Wednesday to everyone. Before we begin, if anyone needs a Bible, just raise your hand and these guys will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5, possibly 6, but I'm not real hopeful of 6. But that's what we're kind of starting and uh, looking at. Um, just a, a prayer need. If, if uh, you might maybe feel led to get involved with our online ministry, the, the uh, uh, online uh, internet stuff that we do here, uh, just see Joey. With, uh, with Sean leaving a uh, couple weeks now, um, we really need to be able to maybe pull some pull some positions, some help for Joey that, that might be able to give him free up some time in other directions. So if you're interested in that, just see Joey after service, and we'll get you plugged in with uh, with the Internet and the online service. And uh, we would get great. The kids, uh, kids, the high school kids, they do a great job. I mean, absolutely great. Sunday morning, Seth and Jeremiah and, and uh, who else? Sam. Bunch, bunch of kids are doing a great job for us, but it would be great to get... Um, Someone else in there. So just talk to Joey about that. Joshua chapter 4, let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and how as we dig into your word, it changes our lives. Well, that's what you designed your word to do, for us to know you and to know you better. And as we do, Lord, you do that work in our lives to change us and to make us more like you. So we are, are thankful. We thank you for this time in your word that we can gather freely, Lord, without fear of someone knocking down our doors and, and hauling us to, to jail, Lord, and, and where other places in this world, they can't do what we're doing right now. So we are thankful for that, Lord. We don't want to ever take that for granted. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon our time together as we dig in, Lord, that you just show us what we need to hear, Lord, as a church, what we need to hear for as a as a individuals, Lord. Uh, just do that work in our hearts this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you remember being a kid... And being in like great anticipation for like a special day that's coming up. Maybe it was your your birthday was coming up or Christmas and you can't wait. Maybe it was a, a trip for you Californians for a trip to Disneyland as a kid. Back when Disney was still moral. And 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 you just couldn't wait. And you wanted to go to Disneyland, you're counting down the months, the weeks, the days, even the even the hours. You long for that day and suddenly, all right, kids, let's get in the car. All right, yeah, we're gonna go, you know, and now imagine how it was for the children of Israel. Imagine finally moving out of the desert across to the Jordan River. They've been, been waiting and waiting and wandering for a long, long time. Most of these had been born in the desert as a part of that new generation that had replaced the older one that refused to trust God, that would not be entered into the promised land because of that. Only Joshua and Caleb we're going to enter in. And they waited even longer than these guys going into. These guys were about 80 years old at this time, so they've been waiting a really, really long time. And on the eve of crossing over, Joshua said, and we looked at this last time together in chapter 3, verse 5, Sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Man, set yourself apart. Get ready, because something's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. Prepare yourself. 
get right with the Lord. And, 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 and God did something amazing. The water, if you recall, mysteriously gathered up to the north and would not flow. The priest stood in the middle of the dry Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant until everyone crossed over, some two million plus people. It was awesome. But it wasn't just crossing over the Jordan that was so special. It was receiving the land that God had promised to them. It wasn't walking through the park and not at Disneyland that, that was so wonderful, though it can be. It was getting in the park. Well, here we are in chapter 4, and, and miraculously they've crossed over to the Jordan, over the Jordan River. They're entering the promised land. They made it. Now there's, there's no turning back. They're, they're there, there, and, and it's now what? Well, God has some new instructions for them. Look now at verse 1 of chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. So here God says, before you do anything else, I want you to remember what an important day this is. He says, I want one man from each tribe of the 12 tribes to go back into the middle of the Jordan that's still dry right now and take a stone from the riverbed, bring them back to the place you camp tonight and set up these stones as a a memorial. They did. But then Joshua takes it a step further. Look at verses 9 through 14. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they're there to this day. So the priest who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua and the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priest crossed over in the presence of the people and the men of Reuben, the men of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. So we see a passing of the guard, a passing of the torch, and we see God proving, hey, this is the guy that I want to lead you now. We also saw back in verse 8, that one man from each tribe was to, to go back to the middle of the Jordan, take a stone from the riverbed. These 12 stones on the land really served as a, a visible memorial of the remembrance of how God cut off the waters of the Jordan and allowed his people to cross over. But then, as I said, Joshua takes it a step further 
and sets up 12 more stones and places them around the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark, standing right in the middle of the dried up Jordan River. Now, what's the purpose of, of those memorial monuments? What do they serve? Well, we know the ones on land served as a visible memorial of remembrance that God had cut off the waters of the Jordan, allowed his people to cross over, uh, to, to be a reminder what God has done. So then when they would question, uh, begin to question the battles that they would face in the promised land, they could look back and go, man, I, I remember those stones. God brought us here. It wasn't ourselves. There's no way we could have done this. Therefore, God has a purpose. God has a plan. We need to keep going. Same way in our lives, we need memorials. We need testimonies, diaries, pictures, remembrances of the miracles that God has done in our lives so that when we go through difficult times, we can look back and go, oh, I remember how God got me through that time. So whatever I'm facing right now, I trust him because that was really bad and he got me through it and this isn't as bad as that or it's worse than that, but God's going to see me through. Warren Wiersbe writes, There is nothing wrong with memorials, provided they don't become religious idols that turn our hearts from God, and provided they don't so link us to the past that we fail to serve God in the present. Glorifying the past is a good way to petrify the present and rob the church of power. The next generations need reminders of what God has done in history, but these reminders must also strengthen their faith and draw them closer to the Lord. So we need memorials, we need testimonies, uh, you know, but it's not like that's all we focus on. Oh, remember the good old days. Remember that. We, uh, no, we, we have a plan. God's wanting to do great things in the future. Now, we see these memorials here, uh, but let me say, not all of them are public. We read here that Joshua had placed 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, which would be underwater when the Jordan closed back in on it. What was that about? No one would see it. But you see, Joshua was setting up a private memorial that only God would see. In the same way, God has given us, the church, two memorials. One that's public for all to see. One is private, just between us and God. One is a water baptism. You know, we, we uh, you know, memorialize publicly what Christ has done in our lives. We show an outward sign of what's taking place in our lives. For the world to see what God has done. I'm standing up for Christ. My old life is done. I'm walking in that new life of Christ. The other memorial that God set up for us is that of communion. We memorialize privately what Christ has done for us upon the cross. Something uh, set, set apart private just for us as believers to celebrate. But notice what other reason God gave Joshua for setting up this outside memorial. Again, the Lord says in verse 6 that this was something that when the children asked their dad, say, Dad, what is the meaning of the stones? Dad, what's up with the rocks? <laughs> the father could say, listen, this is where the Lord has done some great things, awesome things. Let me tell you of the great things that God has done. And listen, we're still reading about it today ministering to a whole new generation of the great things that God has done. I think for some of us in the older generation, uh, I'm getting to be a part of that uh, pretty much, uh, we underestimate our testimony that we can share with the younger generation of the goodness of God and the power of God and the way God moved. And, and because I think if they hear these things, they can get excited about it again. And the younger generation should be open to hear of the great things that God has done. I think, again, of the movie Jesus Revolution, how, how the younger generation going, whoa, this is cool. Man, I wish I was. Maybe we could see another Jesus Revolution again. 
because while well, we're looking back on somebody that was great and praying that God would, would do something wonderful again. And so it's good for us. Well, then in verse 15 we read, Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to the place and overflowed all its banks as before. Can you picture the scene? As soon as they touch that dry land, whoosh! I mean, just, just all this water comes rushing in and comes up like this and then back down over the banks. And, and it says that at once they all crossed over, it filled back up, overflowing the banks just to prove the fact that this was a miracle of God, not some weird act of nature that happens this time of year. I think of the people that say, well, you know, when Moses crossed the Red Sea, it was because it was low tide and there was only two feet of water. If that were the case, then how did a whole Egyptian army chasing after Israel drown in two feet of water? I mean, this was a full-fledged act of God, and God wanted the people to remember it. So as soon as the priest stepped out of the Jordan under the dry land, the water filled up. Now verses 19 through 24. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I like, again, the fact that in verse 21, that the reason for setting up these memorials was so that the kids, when they asked, what are these stones for, Dad? The fathers would talk to their children about the Lord. I think of when the children were brought to Jesus for blessing. The pronoun that Mark uses there in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 14, it makes it clear that the, the fathers brought the children to the Lord. Now, obviously, when a father is unable or unwilling to talk to his kids about spiritual things, the mother is to take that role. But how much better for both mom and dad and to sit down with, with the kids and teach them the ways of God, the word of God, the things that God has done in their lives, the miracles of God. Now, God had promised earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, that as parents, we have the responsibility to teach our children the ways and the word of God. Listen to Deuteronomy 11, verse 18 through 21. We're told there, You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart, the Lord says, and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontage before, between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heaven above the earth. I think I've shared this before. My wife has taken this literally. There's verses everywhere and every wall in our house. It's like, okay, hon, can we just have a picture of some flowers there or something? But, but we have parents. Uh, you know, we have the responsibility to teach our children the word of God. And even when we get frustrated with them, we need to be those that don't, don't respond in our flesh, 
but in the spirit, share what God's word says. Hey, you, you were disobedient. I, I want to show you what God's word says. And, and for this reason, you're going to get to be, you're going to have to be disciplined. Then yet we love on them. But we were sharing from scripture why we do what we do and how we do it. Even when they get older and they're, they're making these decisions in their lives and, and married couples, they just get married to making decisions. Don't stop sharing the word with them. I mean, we not don't tell them what they should do. Hey, you need to do this, this, and this. Hey, listen, I'm just going to tell what God's word says. You can obey it or not, but man, you know, you need to do this or you know, save your son-in-law. You need to provide for your family because the Bible says so. So you better straighten up, young man. Point is, what we're showing God's word, not what I feel, what they should do. That's the influence, especially parents have on on grown children. Again, it's not our job to be the Holy Spirit, but it is to teach our children the word, so they can discern through the work of the Holy Spirit, what is right, what is wrong. And then our children, they'll grow up having the victory in their own lives as well as to learn the fear of the Lord. Teach them the mighty things that God has done throughout Scripture. Bring them so much courage and faith and trust in God. So here in Gilgal, whenever they would come to this memorial, is a reminder of what God has done and will continue to do in a person's life who trusts Him. So that's what the end of chapter 4 tells us. Verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God, forever. Now, chapter 5, they're in the land. They made it. Awesome. Now what? Look at verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their hearts melted. I bet they did. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. I like that. When the kings of the Amorites and the kings of the Canaanites heard what God has done, they just hearts melted. In other words, they were freaked out. I mean, wouldn't you be? I mean, the Israelites, they serve a God that can control nature. I think of when Jesus calmed the sea in Mark four forty one, and it says that the disciples feared. They feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's God. He created nature. He can control nature. But again, these kings, the Amorites and the Canaanites, they freaked out, their hearts melted. Now, God had promised that that would happen back in Deuteronomy chapter 11. And now it's come to pass. The fear of the Israelites had come. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 9, Rahab confirmed the same thing to the spies. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. See, after them hearing the story of the parting of the Red Sea, and now this miraculous victory is won by the Israelites, the Canaanites, now they're terrified. They've now entered their land. Any thought that they might have had that these things were just rumors about the God of Israel quickly disappeared when the report got around that now the Jordan River had stopped up dry, allowed them to cross over to the middle of it uh, in, the, in, the, in the spring of flood season. So at this point, from a human standpoint, it seems like this would be the right time for Joshua to give the order to strike. To take the land that God has given to them. Strike you know, while there's still fear in their enemies, in which their enemies would be at their weakest. From a human perspective, this seems like a, a great plan. But God has got other plans. Look at verses 2 through 6. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. 
So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Lord, it's time for us to attack. And you want us to do what? <laughs> Again, from a human viewpoint, the right time to strike at the strongholds of the Canaanites was right after they crossed over into the, the Jordan. The, the, these idolatrous people, they were demoralized. They were freaked out. Not only with the whole Red Sea deal 40 years previously, but, but, but also they, they had heard, they'd seen what happened with the kings on the east side of the Jordan. So when it came to crossing of the Jordan waters, they held back, man, panic spread throughout all of Canaan very quickly. Again, surely this would be the right time for Israel to launch an all-out offensive. At least that's the way man's strategy would work. But God is not confined to man's methods. Let me say something else. God is never in a hurry, and he's never late. He knows exactly the right time to strike. So too in our lives, we need to be aware of being pressured to to act immediately in certain situations without having the time to consult the Lord and seek the Lord. Perhaps God is working in a person's life and you're interfering. It's just complicating things. See, the, the Lord doesn't put pressure on us to reach decisions without giving us opportunities for reflection and for prayer and seeking Him. So where does that pressure come from? Well, it comes from our enemy, Satan. See, if he can stop us uh, if he can't stop us from doing God's will, then he's going to try and get us to push ahead of God's will, to get us to do something in our flesh, to make something happen that isn't God's will because we want to make it happen. He'll put pressure on us to do something drastic because so often we feel, oh, this is the time to strike. I mean, I've got to strike when the iron's hot. Now, there's a certain amount of truth in that, but we need to be careful in this area. Just because it seems like a good decision at the time, we must still seek the Lord. The enemy is very good at presenting circumstances for us to jump on, to, to go for, and get out of God's will. Now, for a limited time only, you can own this car for only $200 down. Wow, $200 down. This is great. Here's $200. Great. Sign right here. Now it's $600 a month for the next 50 years, but you got it for $200 down. But it sounded so good. Sure, the Lord wanted me to have it. I mean, the deal was going by so fast. Listen, there are probably some times when we possibly should act faster than we do. But as far as I'm concerned, I would rather be a little bit slow when it comes to certain decisions I make because I want to know that I know that I'm in the will of God, that I've had plenty of time to pray about it. But here's what I do also know, is that God knows my heart in these matters, and he knows my desire to do his will. So God, knowing me as well as he does, I'm sure that... that He will not allow any opportunity to slip out of my hands if that's his will for my life to take hold of. If it's not, I don't want it. I don't want something that's not God's will. But he will allow me all the time I need to reach a decision I need to make that I believe will be according to his will. 
certainly over this past year, we've made a whole lot of decisions as a church, starting to build on the church property on National, leasing this building here, and then signing the contract with the contractor and signing a lease agreement here. And let me tell you, we prayed a lot about making this decision. And we waited on the Lord and sought the Lord a long time, and we still are doing that continually. But let me say that many opportunities came up uh, all of a sudden in making that move here. And thankfully, it, uh, it wasn't just me making, making the decision, seeking the Lord. You know, we have a church board here that consists of, of my, my good friend, Pastor Dennis Davenport. He's our, he's our vice president and treasurer. My, my secretary is, is a Pastor Jeff out in Joplin, which you can pray for because he just had back surgery this last week. But that's our board and responsibility to make financial decisions. We pray about those decisions and what God would have us to do. And then, as you know, we have here, we have Pastor Bruce and, and Joey and Sean and myself, and we meet together and we pray. On top of all that, we're blessed to have a, a men's leadership here, a, guys, a group of men that, that pray and seek the Lord in making these big decisions. So I'm convinced that when you seek the Lord first, you will then be protected from making the wrong decisions, and God will lead you to the right ones as you wait on the Lord. And even now, when it comes to our, our church property, it seems we're at a standstill because we had to resubmit some changes with the city, and in my mind, it's taken forever. On top of that, the Seminole property hasn't sold yet, and, and it's been almost two months since any work has been, not been done on the property because of the city. You know, this tells me that we just need to keep praying all the more. <laughs> not stress about it. And wait on the Lord's timing. It's all in his hands. It's his. It's his, it's his building project. It's his facility. It's, it's his. And so I just said, okay, Lord, we're going to pray. And if you want me to say something and jump on the city, I'll do that. But, but, but I'm just going to pray and trust you. So it was the case of the people of Israel just after they crossed the Jordan. Now, some might have thought, again, now is the time to strike. We need to go now. And they may, may have been in a hurry, but, but God was not. Delay at this point was God's will. And I, and I do think sometimes we miss out on God's best by being in a hurry to do things, when instead there should be more time looking at the condition of our hearts. Doing, doing should come from being in daily communion with the Lord if we want our, our uh, conduct to be pleasing to Him. And again, we need to understand that, that you know, God's thoughts and God, God's ways are much higher than ours. And, and Joshua here was getting his orders from the Lord, not from the military experts. So instead of taking that tactical advantage of the Canaanite fresh fear, Joshua obeys the command of the Lord to first circumcise the men. Look at verse 7. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Now again, we read this, that uh, when they first left Egypt, all the males were circumcised, but they had not been faithful to circumcise their children that were born during the 40 years in the wilderness, even though the Lord had commanded them to do it. And yes, as a parent, circumcision is a difficult thing to have done to your newborn son. Perhaps that's why Moses failed to circumcise his son. Do you remember his story? Back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24 through 26, it says, concerning Moses, this is in the New Living Translation, on the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. 
She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. See, God had made that command, that law, to the descendants of Abraham and Moses uh, to circumcise, and it was neglected. He neglected to perform it. The Lord was actually going to kill Moses, we read there, for his disobedience until his wife, Zipporah, figured out that Moses' affliction was because he failed to circumcise her son. So she performs the circumcision, but obviously was not pleased about it, calling her husband a bridegroom of blood, or in another translation, you're a bloody husband to me. All that to say, men, it's a good thing when our wives look out for us. We shouldn't, we shouldn't reject it. Sometimes they just see things a lot clearer than we do, and it could save our lives a lot of trouble if we listen to them a little more often. Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 10, God had told Abraham, the sign of the covenant between me and you will be circumcision. You, your descendants, and the people in your houses are to do this. Then he tells them it needs to be done on the eighth day. Then in verse 14 of Genesis chapter 17, it says, But any male who is not circumcised shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. See, physically, circumcision had many benefits. And God's prescription for it was to be done on the eighth day, which is actually very medically healthier for, for that child. But spiritually, what does that symbolize? Well, spiritually, circumcision is the cutting away of the flesh to pursue the things of God. See, the Israelites, they had consecrated themselves before crossing the door. They had washed themselves. They abstained from physical pleasure. But now, having entered the promised land before God would allow them to possess it, they must be obedient to cut away the flesh. See, this translates uh, into the Christian walk this way. As we looked at last time, as we cross over into our promised land, which is the spirit-filled, abundant life of the believer, the victorious Christian life, we should always devote a period of time into being washed in the water of the Word, spending time in prayer, seeking the Lord. So as the Lord fills us with His Holy Spirit, we can cross through this new land. But before you can continue on and possess the promises, there's a flesh that we have to deal with, right? We've got to deal with the flesh. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, when he says, Circumcision is out of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. We must circumcise our hearts. Jesus put it this way in Matthew sixteen twenty four: If any man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Paul put it this way in Romans thirteen fourteen: But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Denying the flesh, cutting it away is difficult, but it's, a, it's really a prerequisite to living this, this victorious Christian life that we're called to live. Again, Paul tells us in Romans 6.11, we're to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it's that appetite that we have for the flesh nature that needs to be cut off. And the only way to do that is by the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the self-indulgence, the, the pride of the flesh, the secret pride, secret ambitions, self-assumptions, not only those that are obvious, but those that are hidden. I think if we really check our own hearts, we'll often find that the reason we get our feelings hurt is due to, so often, our own pride, secret pride, ambition that has not been fed by praise from someone else. It's that self-confidence that takes place of our confidence in God that needs to be dealt with. Maybe our feelings of superiority in regard to others are all a part of that that flesh-filled life. 
Maybe, well, I'm more intellectual than others or more spiritual than others. As a result, we, they, we then can become critical of others. Well, I don't like this. They, they just don't know. And they're just, you know. And all these things that can hinder our spiritual walk. And they need to be dealt with. They need to be mortified, put to death by the Spirit, Paul would say. Now, by Joshua obeying the Lord and allowing the men to be circumcised, it would put the whole nation, think about this, in a real vulnerable position. Instead of conquering with the momentum that they had from, from the, the parting of the Jordan, these Israelites, they became weak and, and uh, for at least three days. Here's my point. We cannot be strong in God until we recognize we're weak in ourselves. Think about this. Paul asked the Lord uh, to remove a thorn in his flesh three times. But God didn't do what Paul asked him to do, but said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And realizing what God was doing with them, Paul gladly submitted to the Lord's will by saying, Therefore, most gladly, I'd rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am personally weak, then I, in union with Christ, am strong. And until we recognize that fact, God cannot work on our own lives. But when we do, we say, Lord, I am nothing. You are everything. Then God says, great. That's where I want you to be. Now I'm going to work in your life. But again, in ourselves, we are weak, but our strength lies in Christ. When we learn this, then the Lord can truly bless us. Just as he blesses Joshua after the circumcision, and is told by the Lord, look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. So because of Joshua's obedience, God says he's rolled away the reproach, this disgrace, this shame from the Israelites. Uh, so the name of this place is Gilgal, which means rolling or will. But what was so disgraceful? What was the reproach? It was their disobedience to the commands of God. Again, they had not circumcised their children, nor had they celebrated the Passover since they were at Mount Sinai 38 years before. Now, it's probably just as well that they didn't celebrate Passover because uh, the Lord had said regarding Passover, no uncircumcised person may eat of it. But now the reproach had been rolled away from them, and now they were free to enjoy the blessings of God. And the same thing with us. When we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we're free to enjoy the blessings that God has for us. Obedience brings blessings. Verse 11. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate food of the land of Canaan that year. God brought them into the land, and what we read, the miracle of manna was no longer needed. Wasn't that God had stopped providing for them? He was just simply providing for them in a different way. Now, Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4.19, that my God shall supply all of my needs, all your needs, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, that, that is a true statement. But it doesn't promise that all of our needs are going to be supplied in a miraculous manner. Oftentimes, God supplies by opening up opportunities for us to toil or to labor, or to work for what we need. Neither does this mean that, that, you know, well, God helps those who help themselves. This may surprise you, but that's not in the Bible. You won't find that. 
Nowhere does it say that God helps those who help themselves. God helps those because we can't help ourselves. But in the same way, God may provide you with extra overtime at work to help you get out of that financial situation that you're in. No, no, I can't do overtime, you know. Then you're saying no to the provision of God. It's like that story that I think we've all heard before of this tremendous storm that came through a small town and the, the whole town was flooded and it was still raining coming down and the rescuers came uh, with their SUV to this man's house who said, you need to evacuate, you're going to be flooded. And the guy said, nope, my God shall supply all my needs, he'll take care of me. Well, the floods came in and the guy was forced up on his roof and the rescuer came by boat and then to rescue him. But the man replied, nope, nope, my God shall supply all my needs, he'll take care of me. Finally, the man is holding up on top of his chimney a helicopter flies over and shouts to the man to hold on to the rescue line. And the man replied, nope, nope, my God shall supply all my needs. He'll take care of me. The man died. He drowned. And he's standing before the Lord and says to the Lord, God, you let me down. I kept telling everybody that you'll supply all my needs and you'll take care of me. And the Lord responded, what do you want? I sent you an SUV, a lifeboat, and finally a helicopter, and you still wouldn't listen. You see... Back here in Joshua, God had provided the manna at a time where there's no earthly chance for their need to be met or supplied. But God was still providing for them just in a different way. God was calling them to be responsible now and to receive from him this way. Well, now look at verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This word describing how Joshua was by Jericho has the meaning of being in the immediate vicinity of it. I would imagine he was probably doing some reconnaissance, checking it out, seeing how they might attack the city. And as he nears Jericho, Joshua sees a man with his sword drawn, not knowing if he's an Israelite. If he is, he's a bit premature. And that if he's a Canaanite, well, he's going to be outnumbered. So Joshua approaches him and says, Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? Uh, are you for us or are you against us? And the answer is simply, uh, pretty surprising, simply no. <laughs> are you for us or against us? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, even in the original language, it's not clear what he is answering. Is he answering the last part of the question, meaning, uh, no, I'm not for your adversaries? Or is he saying, no, I'm not anybody's ally. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I like in the King James Version, it says, I'm the captain of the Lord's host. The Lord's host is a reference to the army of his angels. Psalm 148, verse 2, it says, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Now this man, in verse 13 here, is their commander, their captain. But he's not an, uh, an angel. How do we know that? Because angels are not allowed to receive worship. If you recall in Revelation chapter 22, verse 8 and 9, when John saw an angel, John says, When I heard him saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. But here we see Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. So this captain of the Lord's host is not an angel. Therefore, it must be the Lord himself. 
And then that's verified when we read in verse 15 that the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot, for this is the place where you stand as holy, and Joshua did so. Remember when Moses, God called Moses from the midst of the burning bush, he said the same thing to him in Exodus 3, verse 5. Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So this most certainly is the Lord. It's an occurrence called a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. See, that the main lesson of Joshua 5 is that we must be a spiritually prepared people if we are going to do the Lord's work successfully and glorifying His name. Instead of rushing into battle, we must take the time to be holy, take the time to, to wait on the Lord, to seek the Lord. Joshua did just that, and as we come to chapter 6, Joshua now receives the instructions from the Lord and will be successful in the battle of Jericho. Now, it's unfortunate that the chapter's division is placed here because I believe that the story continues on with Joshua's conversion with the Lord because Joshua asked in verse 14 of chapter 5, What does my Lord say to his servant? So after being told to remove his shoes, the Lord answers Joshua's question in chapter 6 and says, we'll look at that next week because it's too much. We'll go way over if we say so. We'll stop here. Um, but you guys can read on, on ahead and see what he says and, and uh, um, you'll be blessed by it. And we'll pick it up chapter 6 next week. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we have in our hearts what you've done for us. Our, our, our memory, Lord, the memorial, we look at it when we spend time in communion, Lord. We look at the cross and we see uh, the, the sacrifice that you paid for us. You took care of our sin issue, Lord. You've forgiven us. And now, Lord, you call us to walk in this promised land, to walk in obedience, to walk not serving the flesh, but walking in your spirit. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to walk in your spirit. Lord, help us to, to seek you first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to us. Lord, help us to seek you first in making decisions and, 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 and seeking your will. What may seem so right, Lord, may not be the right thing at the right time, as we'll see next week. Lord, we just praise you for, for your Holy Spirit working in our lives to give us that confirmation, that direction for your word, Lord, as it, as it instructs us and leads us. Thank you for it, God, and thank you for this night. We praise you for your goodness, your greatness, your love towards us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and do one last song together.
God bless you guys. If you need any prayer whatsoever, come up front. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Have a great week. Don't forget men's prayer breakfast Saturday, 830 here at the church. God bless you guys.